Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down the Rabbit Hole podcast, another special episode of Comedians Helping Comedians, and um, I have a really interesting human being today, and uh, his name is Jeremy Nunes, he's got a very uh, dynamic background, and I think he'll be an interesting point of view, and that's what we're doing in these special episodes, just trying to have interesting people, so everybody, welcome in, Mr. Nunes. What's up, bro? What's going on? How you doing, my man? Oh, great, dude. It's uh, getting getting a little cold out here, but uh, I'm loving it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, for, for the audience who doesn't know you, uh, you are you in, you're in the Midwest, am I correct? Yeah, I'm in the uh, middle of Illinois. Nice. Uh, Illinois. The, the great Illinois. Okay, great. Um, I remember you guys used to have a player called Juice, Juice Robinson or something like that. Oh, what was it? The Juice, quarter, uh, did your quarterback you had, number five? I, I want to say it was Juice Williams. Juice Williams, yeah, Juice Williams. He's really good. Yeah, man. I was I was a big fan of him. And then uh, I think old Lovey Smith came in and, and uh, pushed him out. He, he likes the traditional quarterback that, uh, you know, throws interceptions all day like the old Bears team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a Ravens fan. We had to deal with Kyle Bowler for like six seasons. So, you know, oh. yeah, yeah. So when we got Joe Flacco, we were like, at least somebody that knows how to like throw a touchdown, you know, and he did win us the Super Bowl. So it's so weird in, in sports towns where, you know, Illinois is definitely a sports uh, state and Maryland is definitely a big, you know, Baltimore specifically is a very big sports town. We, um, it's so weird. Like with Joe Flacco, it's one of those things where, he was good enough, okay? We, we went to the playoffs, like, you know, multiple years with him. He, we beat some tough teams, and we got a Super Bowl. Never a pro baller, never, uh, you know, anything like that, but he got us a Super Bowl, and he was good enough. He was great. He was just above average, just a, like one notch above average. But historically, everyone, you know, there's this big fight on Facebook right now where all the Lamar Jackson, I'm a, you know, I like Lamar Jackson, and I appreciate it. I think he, he's one of the first offensive players um, outside of like Jamal Lewis to become a Ravens MVP, you know, uh, like, a, like, a, like, you know, like an like MVP caliber player or, you know, like an all pro on offense overall um, in terms of like, you know, the positions that people care about. So one of the very few in our history, Jamal Lewis, you got uh, Jamal Lewis, you have, let's see who else, maybe Todd Heap, maybe, maybe, uh, Derek yeah. Mason, maybe Anquan Bolden, uh, Steve Smith, you know, but but overall our history has been defensively. So when we got Lamar Jackson, the, the league MVP last year, people are like, oh yeah, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, of Ravens history. Yeah, he is, but you still have to give Joe Flacco his respect because he won the Super Bowl and he kept us out of the, the dweller after dealing with Kyle Bowler's trash for a couple of years. So what what, are you, what is your thoughts on the state of football in Chicago? Are you a, big, are you a Bears fan or are you some other team? I am a Bears fan. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny you bring up Flacco. So I went to Southern Illinois, uh, and back then they played in the national tournament just about every year, and every year seemed to run into Delaware, and Joe Flacco would light them up. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, 
so when the Ravens drafted him, um, I think I had a, I had an accurate view of him. I, I thought he's I think he's going to be a, a serviceable guy. I don't think he's going to be like league MVP, but I think he'll be able to to hold the starting job down. Yeah. Um, and then when Lamar Jackson got drafted, everybody's like, "Oh, what a bust! This guy's going to be garbage." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it shows what people know sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on on our end, I. My wife can verify when the Bears drafted Mitch Trubisky, I absolutely flipped out in anger. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I did. I was like, if they're getting, a, I, I thought they should have got Deshaun Watson, who was in the Ooh, same draft. Yes. I, I hadn't even heard, hadn't even heard of Patrick Mahomes at the time, who who went a little bit later. Yeah. Wow, that isn't that crazy how certain quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, who I think was a fifth rounder. No, he was a third. Uh, let me look. Third, 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 third. Yeah, he was a third rounder. So Russell Wilson. I mean, matter of fact, let me confirm this. People chat like you don't know anything about sports. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Stay on that fucking couch. Um, you get jelly rolls. This dude was a. Let's see, Russell Wilson. Third rounder, third round, yep, pick number 75. So, yeah, third round pick, you know, and arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the last de- in the last 10 years. He's, I mean, you know, last five to 10 years, he's been amazingly talented. I would say not 10 years, but, you know, in the last five to eight years, he's been very talented. So it's just weird how certain organizations get it right <laughs> and some sure. of them don't. You yeah, know? and then so as a, as a Bears fan, you, it, it's so frustrating watching the Packers Go from an all-time legend to an all-time legend, you know. Yeah, you just <laughs> we, hand it over, we, like yeah, here we go. Yeah, so we we all as Bears fans thought when Brett Favre retired, or at least moved on to, uh, I think it was the Jets first or the Vikings, I don't recall. But uh, when Brett Favre left town, we we're like, oh, finally it's our time to win. And then you know Aaron Rodgers becomes Aaron Rodgers, and you know the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, but but the Bears honestly in the last ten years have you know been pretty good. You know when you again I know you said Lovey Smith loves guys to throw interceptions, but that Bears defense <laughs> and that that team was pretty damn good for at least two or three years. You know what I mean? Yeah, they had the uh, a Super Bowl run in '05, got all the way there, um, and then their downfall in that game. He had a, a quarterback who couldn't receive a snap from the center. Uh, this somehow got all the way to the Super Bowl in the first place. Yeah. So uh, we might have taken Kyle Bowler over him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about your Bears' chances now? Because you guys have a really good record. You you guys are you only got what one loss right now? Yeah, they're uh, four and one or five and one, something like that. Is it a fake? Uh, is it a fake four and one or or, or or five and one or or what do you feel? I I think it's fake because uh, if you are aware. They have two separate fourth quarter comebacks of 21 points or more. And I, I was hearing this statistic here that, uh, like only seven teams ever have won a game when they were down by 21 plus points in the fourth quarter. And the Bears did it twice in back to back games. Uh, and both were kind of smoke and mirrors. A little had to happen, you know, uh, a simple fumble or an easy interception got thrown and that kind of started it. So uh, I'm going to try to be a, a neutral, realistic <laughs> Bears fan here. <laughs> it, it just seems like, uh, I don't know if you remember, back in like 2000, 2001, the Bears were like 12 and 4. Yeah. And somehow every single game was like that. They just 
somebody would like trip and fall and fumble, and then you know, <laughs> and the Bears would pick it up and run it in for a touchdown or something. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and you know what? You guys are number one in the NFC North. You guys are five and one. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough fight to the end with with Green Bay. Just got smoked like cheap crack. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that you know, so you are, never really know. And and everyone keeps talking about the coach for for Green Bay. Uh, this kid, uh, what is his name? He's got a Lafleur, Matt Lafleur. And yeah. uh, I don't know why are people so negative on him. I don't get it. I mean, you know, do you know any more? Because you're the Midwest. Is there's why do they talk so negatively about him and like him getting along with Aaron Rodgers? Do you know anything about that? Um, the only thing I know is he prefers he prefers to run over pass. Okay, and so. I think a lot of people are like, well, you got an all-time great at quarterback. Why are you sticking to the run? But uh, their running back, man, he's he's pretty solid, too. So, uh, I don't know. I guess you can't fault him. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, my thing is Aaron Rodgers' numbers have never, never looked better. Has never looked better. Sure. Great numbers, you know. And, it, and the argument is they could have gotten him another receiver, but uh, Devontae Adams is a number one, a true number one. And Aaron oh, yeah. Rodgers can do a lot with a little. And um, so, you know. And, and and even the running back is like you said is pretty good. So I don't know necessarily the upgrade. I, I do think they did kind of waste that pick on a quarterback in the first round. Um, but uh, you know it's it is what it is. With the Ravens, I think ours is a fake too. In a way, we're you know we're we're tight. I mean we're number, I mean I think we're number two right now behind the Steelers, but we're two and zero in the division, which is weird. So um, I don't know. We've got one loss as well. I'm looking at the let's see let's see if we're tied for number one because that's weird. That we are right under the fucking Steelers. Yeah, it's weird. We're five and one. Steelers are five and zero. Oh, so I get it. Okay, but we're two and zero. Oh con- we're in the conference. We're two and zero. Oh. So yeah, I just think our offense overall just hasn't looked great. I mean, it's looked okay. I don't know if you've watched any Ravens games, but they've looked okay. But it hasn't looked like last year. And and the problem with Lamar Jackson is, and he's got a chip on his shoulder. He really wants, I think he's trying to stay in the pocket to really, really prove that he can stay in the pocket. And if the pocket is open, run. I mean, sometimes it's, you already, pre- you got an MVP. Fuck what everybody's saying and just play quarterback. Play it the way you need to play it. You know, I, I don't get it. Sometimes, you know, players get stuff in their head like, I got to prove something. No, just win. You know, however it takes, whatever it takes. You know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I feel the same way with the Bears. A lot of times they're they're just trying to, to dink and dunk and do little trick plays to make something happen. But, you know, what do I know? that I can't even make the playoffs on Madden. <laughs> yeah, put in an all-pro mode and you just start. <laughs> I'm doing that right now. Actually, I'm undefeated in my Madden uh, season. I'm 16-0. and 0. I'm playing the Buffalo Bills right now, and, and uh, I'm strong. I'm playing strong safety right now. And, and they, they, they know who to key on on. They know how to key in, key in on me. So that <laughs> I'm... <laughs> But yeah, let's talk and get into your comedy, man. Um, I, I connected with you through the wonderful Facebook group, Comedians Help Comedians, and kind of tell people your comedy background and just your background in general. Yeah, man. I uh, started comedy in 2002 when I was in uh, uh, college in Carbondale. Uh, interesting tidbit. So there used to be a um, kind of a, a what they call a one-nighter bar that did comedy uh Weekly, they had national touring comedians come in to feature a headliner, and uh, they would let the college kids go up. Uh, they let two college kids each go up and do two minutes. Wow. And and there were uh, three uh, college kids that did it, so we kind of had a rotation. And one of those guys was Hannibal Burris. Are you fucking kidding me? Serious, dude. What? And, uh, and uh, so, and Hannibal, man, boy, he was a grinder. He just worked and worked and worked. Uh 
expensive. He was always kind of self-booking shows down in Carbondale. He'd find a coffee shop and he'd put, <laughs> you know how it is when you first start out and you put like 20 guys on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd be booking one of those and, uh, you know, to do shows with him there and stuff. And then uh, after uh, college, graduated at the same time as him, moved to Chicago and uh, went up there. Did the second city, graduated, you know, performed on their stage for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, in the meantime, working, uh, this is, I always just tip my cap to Hannibal, man, because that dude, uh, I'd go to an open mic maybe once or twice a week. Every time I was there, I saw Hannibal. And he'd say, oh, well, I, I'd love to stick around, man, but if I can run to, uh, if I get the other side of the city, that'll be the, like the 20th mic I do this week, so I'm trying to get over there. You Shit. know, and uh, He just worked and worked and worked, and, uh, and then uh, I hadn't seen him for uh, probably four or five years, and I was working Zanies downtown Chicago. Famous Zanies, famous, uh, famous, famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I was featuring, I want to say, and they said, uh, "Hey, you mind cutting five minutes off? Uh, we've got a guy going to do a guest that he's trying to get on Craig Ferguson." Oh wow! And I was like, "I was like, who is it?" And he's like, "Oh, it's." Uh, Hannibal Burris. I was like, no kidding, Hannibal. Um, but you got to remember, at the time, I hadn't seen Hannibal in five years, and he had only been an open mic or grinding at open mics, right? So then he goes up and just absolutely destroys the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, wow, that is that is hard work paying off. Um, and uh, look at him now, man, one of the best comics working. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, let's unpack a couple of things really quickly. Um, I'm also an alumni of Second City now. Let's talk about uh, a digital alumni. You know, I, w- I didn't say, you know, I didn't take like a, a two, three year course, but I took a course and I, you know, I had the opportunity to have that uh, experience, which was amazing. Kind of for people who don't understand what Second City is, explain that. Uh, that and then I'll ask another question on top of it but explain your experience at Second City what it's like going to Second City and some of the people who've come out of Second City because that is a nice thing to have on a resume as well okay so as far as the alums of Second City uh, a lot of the SNL people kind of come out of there so uh, more recently like uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler um, Rachel Dratch so and then back like uh, in the 90s like Mike Myers came out of there Chris Farley um, and then, you know, if you push way back, even like the Bill Murray, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, all these guys came out of there. And then, uh, even tons of people that you kind of see and you see them in every movie and you're like, I've seen that guy before. Chances are he's probably from second city. Um, so that's as far as the alums go. Now the shows they do, a lot of people think the shows are improvised. They're not, they're sketch. Uh, but at the end of the night, they do improv and then later kind of in their own rehearsals privately will use those improv uh, results to write new sketches. So what you're watching is written, but it was written through improv, if that makes sense. Okay. Gotcha. And then, uh, so I went up there, let me think originally in maybe 2001, I started in like a writing course and then uh, kind of worked my way up through the ranks. Was there three years, and then uh, was with their touring company, um, which is hard to get on. It. Very hard to get on. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, from there, uh, simultaneously, I was performing at a theater called Improv Olympic. I've heard uh, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which 
then changed to IO and then is, is now defunct. I think I just read. Um, but, uh, so kind of performing at both those improv Olympic is almost all improv though. So that's kind of the difference there. But, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I had been there. It's uh, kind of cool. You do your rehearsals every once in a while. Uh, a Chicago celeb that has made their way through there will, will hop in. So like Tina Fey and, and Amy Poehler both popped in a couple times. Wayne Brady popped in one time. Oh, really? Um, How's Wayne Brady, man? Is he pretty cool? He was pretty cool. He came in to teach us, um, kind of his method on how to do musical improv. So, uh, it was pretty cool, man. And, uh, yeah, good guy. Wow. That's a lot of experience, man. But, but tell us, okay. So now we know about second city, the audience has been, uh, you know, educated about it. I've heard on different podcasts, you know, cause I'm trying to do more of this. I'm, I want to be a versatile. So as an example, I think that Chris rock, his talent from being a stand up to being able to do an SNL from a Tracy Morgan to do an SNL and to do stand up, and then even watching Eddie Murphy to do the same thing, considered one of the goats. And then even, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, one of the greatest, stand-up comedians of all time being able to do sketch i've heard some sort of trash talking from different comedians about people that do sketch and improv uh can you can you, do you are you aware of that and if you are kind of talk about the cultural difference and why do you think uh improv gets kind of gets bashed a little bit um <laughs> improv uh this is kind of me observing the the three various forms i think improv kind of has the feel of like this um kind of theater nerdy genre, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that's probably why. Um, yeah. Now from the view of a stand-up comedian towards sketch, my, um, I think stand-ups look at sketch as, you know, you had several people working together to put this together. You know what I mean? Versus, uh, your stand-up generally it's all you, um, now, on the other side of it, if the show goes great, as a stand-up, you take all the credit. As a, <laughs> as, a, as a team, as an ensemble, you have to kind of share in that. We did it together. Uh, and likewise, though, if, if the show goes bad, you as a stand-up, you, it's just you, right? Versus, uh, versus the sketch or improv group, uh, if it goes bad, you know, it, you go down together. Yeah. Uh, However, typically you can kind of point and be like, oh, if, uh, if stupid Jerry would have done what he was supposed to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? so I, I suppose that's kind of where they're coming from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I felt kind of conflicted because I've always, you know, being a standup is like being a U.S. Marine, you know, it's you versus that it's, it's an unknown environment. It's an unknown crowd. You're in so many different places and you have to adjust and be able to develop your material accordingly. And that skill set and that and that attitude to be able to come on that stage and say, fuck what your opinions are. I'm going to make you laugh today. I'm going to kill you with what I have, this material that I have. I'm going to I'm going to. You, you have no idea what I'm going to do to you. And getting a group of strangers to feel what you're feeling and to think and, and to go down that thought process is amazing. And in my experience too, I kind of felt now, again, it's just, I'm new to comedy in less than a year, but from my perspective, um, you know, I do, I did feel a little corniness and, and you know, as a black guy, you know, I kind of felt a little like, Ugh, this is a little bit too suburban feeling to me. You know, it kind of felt a little <laughs> Starbucksy. You feel what I'm saying? 
Yes. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, but 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 the funny part was when I took that second city class, I had all these Midwesterners, and I did I did the one in Chicago. I did the digital drop in class for for uh for you know a class I took. Um, it was dope because you know. I had these random people from the Midwest who were all white and I was the only black dude and I had them laughing and it was like, it was so cool to see that, you know, comedy is comedy is comedy, but you know, we, sometimes we got to just let people, comedies can be done differently as well. There's different ways to do it because there's some, at some time I've heard, uh, back in the day, some people were hating on, um, and she just wants to let everyone know because she wasn't close proximity. Okay, cool. Um, Okay, interesting. Um, so yeah, so so comedy can be can be uh, done in num- any a number of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, dude. There's um, not one way to do it. Yeah, now and I remember when I was up there, they were desperate to have people of color on the ensemble because it's I I don't I don't know why it just doesn't appeal uh, or, or what it may be. I don't I don't know, but yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, and and that's all we're trying to do, man. We're all just trying to look out for each other and and make sure that uh, you know that we that we that we you know make we look out for each other, man. That's all. It's, that's all it's about. So, but yeah, man. Um, I I just it's so dope. So and so kind of give us after you did the uh, you did Second City, you 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 get you've done all those wonderful things. Talk about your stand up career, how that's you know helped you to develop your toughest crowd and your favorite experience. Give me your toughest crowd you've ever had ever. Uh, <laughs> so after I left second city, I, I went full time in stand up. Oh, wow. And Balls, man. Yeah. Uh, so and one of the first shows I did, um, so I don't know if you've experienced this yet or not, but generally to kind of get in with the booking agencies and such, uh, if, if you can finally get them to give you a chance, they end up kind of throwing you a show that nobody really wants to do. Okay. And so, uh, I got offered a show in like South Dakota for a hundred dollars. So I'm driving 16 hours to get my hundred dollars, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you gotta remember if you get in, you do a good job, then they'll, uh, you know, the, then the agency's going to book you for more shows and get a couple more weeks and, and so on. So, uh, they call me about a week before the show and say, Hey, we just had a, the Friday night. Uh, open up about an hour down the road from where you're going to be. Do you want to do that one also? Well, of course. So, but it did seem a little odd to me. Why just two days prior did this thing open up? Uh, you'd think, you know, you would think if they're already going to have me an hour down the road on Saturday, they would put me in the same, you know, in the other spot Friday. So I get there and I see all these signs for uh, a hypnotist going to perform. And uh, the, I talked to the bar owner. I was like, yeah, this is going to be super awesome. I have never got to perform with a hypnotist. And uh, he's like, oh, no, the uh, the hypnotist canceled. You're the show. <laughs> In like, South Dakota. Uh, yes. Wow. <laughs> you said 15-hour like, drive. Yeah. Holy and shit. So- <laughs> That's great, dude. 15. I respect, first of all, let's stop real quick. We're going to continue the story, but. Anybody's willing to drive 15 hours is a friend of mine for comedy. I respect that dedication. That you know, there's a difference between trying to be famous and make it big and not really having content or quality of work, or just being a half-ass stand-up comedian. But to be that dedicated to do it, I, I truly respect that. I salute you on that one. 
Thanks, man. Yeah, and I little side note, I'm gonna get on my soapbox. For some reason, it seems like the uh, a lot of the newer generation of comedians aren't willing to do that. Uh, yeah, but I always I always tell them to get your shot. You got to take take the garbage shows first, and then you do well. Then you start getting better stuff. Yeah, but, it's kind of getting uh, earning your stripes. Yeah, uh, but so anyway, so I'm talking to to the bar owner. He's like, "No, you're you're the show," and I was like, "Oh, great." So uh, I was like, "Do the people know?" That, that, <laughs> that there's not going to be a hypnotist. He's like, oh, uh, they don't know yet. We'll tell them. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> so imagine, like, herds of people come in, and they're all just pumped to see the hypnotist. And the guy even says, yeah, we still have radio ads playing, talking about the hypnotist coming. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you pull the ads? And he's like, well, uh, at this point, we still have to pay for the ads, so we figure at the very least, people will find out we're doing a show here. Like, All right. So, uh, the bar owner goes up and he says, uh, I know everybody here is excited to see the hypnotist. And everybody, yeah. He goes, well, uh, he couldn't make it. Uh, <laughs> you could just feel wow. everything deflate from the room. With that he goes, but, uh, his exact, his exact words, but we, uh, we found a comedian, don't know how good he is. Jeremy Nunes. Wow. <laughs> just like that. And they hear like three people like slowly clap. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and what made it even harder, so it's in this basement of a, a Holiday Inn, which has maybe a six foot six ceiling. Uh, and it's an elevated stage by about a foot. And I'm six six. <laughs> wow. So I had to like stand with my neck at like a 90 degree angle, like a vulture, <laughs> just so I could sit on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> you said, you said you were, you're hovering above it like a vulture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and I, I would have just performed from the floor, but we're talking this, it was sold out. There was nowhere for me to stand except the stage. Uh, <laughs> and anything I did, boy, they, you know, they, they had, had had it. They were furious. You know, they felt it was a bait and switch. Um, but so what's funny, uh, now here's, here's where I learned from second city, you know, you work with a lot of corporate clients, you always got to schmooze them at the end of the night. So they feel good. Uh, you know, especially second city, they're paying big money to have people come in. Uh, so at the end of the night, you know, it was a garbage show and I'm like, man, I just drove all these hours for this, essentially an audition show, which went terrible. So I, I wasted it all. Right. Wow. So at the at the end of the night, I kind of hang out with the bar owner, uh, schmooze him, have a few cocktails. Uh, next day, I get a call from uh, from the agency, and they said, uh, "Don't know what you did, but uh, that bar loved you." They said they were the best act they've had in there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. 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 Now, have you ever had a heckler? Um. <clears throat> I have. Now, people don't, a lot of people think heckles happen all the time. Like, as far as the people yelling like, you suck, you know, something like that. Um, I've never experienced that in going on, you know, almost 20 years. Oh, wow. But what you do get a lot of time is the annoying drunk person who just will not stop talking. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've had to deal with a lot of those people in the past. One of them, my kind of standard 
my wife says I'm too mean to the hecklers. And I'm like, well, they started it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of things I've said that I'm willing to repeat. <laughs> uh, I had one lady, um, boy, she just would not stop. And then, uh, it's kind of getting after a little bit. And, uh, she's like, well, she's like, I, I think you're cute. I'm going to take you home. <laughs> said, well, it might be, uh, I bet it is a pretty short drive to your meth lab. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And it's very apparent. Then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it, you know, everybody laughs and stuff. Well, then I, uh, I, so I deal with her like the whole night. Then at the end of the night, uh, I'm kind of on stage doing my merch pitch and she laughs at my, she loves my t-shirt show much, so much. She's like, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. I was like, okay, come see me after the show. Now she runs up on the stage, and uh, I didn't know she's what she was up to. I was ready. I was ready to hit her with the mic stand if I had to. I didn't <laughs> a nice little, uh, you know, little Star Wars, uh, you know, lightsaber check. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she ends up. She just takes the one that I had in my hand. So I don't even know if it was the right size for her or anything. She just takes it and hands me a fifty dollar bill, and. <laughs> I sold, sold the shirts for $15 mm-hmm. and so she gives me a 50. I was like, man, after all that, I'm not about to tell her that she overpaid me. So I just considered that a tip. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, the, the, you know, I got to help yourself, brother. Wow. Well, I just love your sense of humor, man. I think you have a really interesting take on life and just your experiences uh, and, and doing things. So as we close out, I definitely want to invite you back for season two. I'm actually waiting for my, um, my new music that I'm having designed for my intro, which will be even doper for the fans. But uh, we're going to start doing more story-based uh, ones and not instead of just random interviews with people. Not random, but interesting interviews with people. We're going to start telling full stories. So with your sense of humor and your background, I think you'll be an asset, and, and um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find any of your work, whether it's social media or online or even you know just some of the stuff that you've done? Where can people find you? Thanks, dude. Um, so first of all, quick side note. Uh, I'll try to remember. If you try to remember, also, I have a. I didn't think of it. I have a great heckler story about the racist heckler. All right, go ahead. Go for okay. it. Go for it. You want to just tell it now? Yeah. Okay. Go, hell yeah. Go for it. So, uh, doing this show, and uh, I'm doing crowd work. Okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And there happens to be a table of like, I don't know, eight to ten black people in the back of the room mm-hmm. who have been fantastic to me. Right. Yeah. And so. Uh, because they were so great all night, I, uh, I asked the wait staff to send a, a round of drinks to them and I would pay for it later. Oh, that's okay? dope. As I say that this guy, this is in the middle of Ohio, this guy <laughs> stands up on the right side of, uh, stage, right? Stands up, goes, why don't you buy drinks for white people instead of for the, and drops the end bomb, right? Oh, wow. Uh... And I go, uh. Excuse me, like because <laughs> yeah. I just threw me off so much. Excuse me. Well, now I just gave him permission to say it again, basically. So <laughs> uh, this time he gets up on his chair, okay, like like, like an old timey politician, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he yells, "I said, why don't you buy drinks for the white people instead of for?" And says again, <laughs> "Holy <laughs> and shit!" Then, and then now he's starting to like. 
he's turning around, like trying to encourage people to join in. He's like, right. Am I right? And he's <laughs> like yelling racial slurs in a crowded room is, is a cause people can get behind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. uh, and then, so now I'm mad. I said, I do buy drinks for white people. I just buy drinks for white trash. Wow. <laughs> and, and so the room explodes, uh, but not this guy. He's, now he's mad. Uh-huh. And, and so he goes, you're not even funny. I'm funnier than you. I'll come up there and prove it. And then so now, at the total bluff, mm-hmm. I just go, if you think you're tough enough to come up here and take the mic out of my hand, be my guest. Uh-huh. He goes, all right, then. He's <laughs> coming in. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, this is a totally true story. You know how uh, sometimes when you, uh, sometimes your thoughts come out as words unknowingly? Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. I say right into the microphone, I go, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, so this dude comes up. He gets to about, I was going to chuck the mic at him. That was, that was the thing. <laughs> Give him a nice Mitchell Trubisky uh, interception. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Upside the head. I got you. Yeah. And so he gets um, probably within about six feet of me. And then the bouncer finally grabs him and uh, they're carrying him out. Uh, <laughs> oh, carrying him out. Him out. Yeah. And uh, so he leaves. You know, uh, what did he say? Oh, he had uh, like a girlfriend with him. And she started yelling something. And then, so I, I go back at her, and I was like, uh, uh, next time he punches you, stop telling people you got hit in the face with a doorknob. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then uh, everybody laughs at that. He's like, okay, tough guy, I'll be waiting for you in the parking lot. Oh, wow. So, uh, show in, um, I'm out in the lobby, kind of selling my merch, and uh, I ask... Uh, the bouncer, so I was like, you were in that guy out of here, right? And they're like, yeah, he's long gone. And so I kind of look out the, the big glass windows, and I was like, well, he's parked right next to me. Uh, what? <laughs> so oh, either, shit. Was either total coincidence, or he just drove around and looked for the, the plates, you know, the out-of-state plates, you know? Ugh. So, but, so he's next to me. And so they call the cops, and uh, they, the cops run him off. And then, so this is one of those clubs back in the day, a lot of clubs did three shows on Saturday night. So this is the very last show late. And so, uh, the cops come run him off and then they're like, Hey, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of talking big. We don't think anything's going to happen, but just to be sure, we want to give you an escort back to the hotel. Uh, and I was like, well, I appreciate that, but, uh, I haven't eaten in like seven hours. So I was going to swing by Taco Bell and, and grab some food. And they're like, that's no problem. We'll just give you an escort through the drive through <laughs> Are you so, fucking kidding me? <laughs> so I have a cop car in front of me and behind me <laughs> as I go through the Taco Bell drive-through. <laughs> if you never wanted to accidentally go in the wrong lane or not put your signals on, this would be the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, as a black dude, that's terrifying. I can only imagine. I'd be like, "What did I do going to this Taco Bell? All I want is a little bit of diarrhea and some nice so Taco Supreme. That's it. Just a little bit of diarrhea, not a lot." <laughs> <laughs> shit did you did you make yeah. it back safely yeah yeah got back safely the dude that uh i remember the dude like leaning out the drive through window kind of looking both ways at the at the two cars he's like who are you and i was like yeah uh 
I even told him, I was like, if you don't know who I am, I'm not allowed to tell you. <laughs> I like that. that. That's smooth. That is an interesting story, dude. Uh, <laughs> if you ever be like, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm Denzel Washington's third cousin. Uh, you know, <laughs> twice removed. Wow, <laughs> bro, that's so funny. Well, we gotta have, like I said, we, I want to have you back on a season two, being part of the group, the cast man, and we're gonna make some more funny shit, dude. And I just really wanted to use this platform to support truly funny people, and that are willing to do that. Um, and you've made this very entertaining over the last thirty-five minutes. So, but yeah, where, where can people find you on social media and everywhere else in your works? Uh, so, uh, any social media, you can search my name, Jeremy Nunez, N-U-N-E-S. Uh, or Front Porch Comedy. That's kind of my brand. So between the two, you'll find me. Uh, and then we've got, uh, I'm on Dry Bar, the Dry Bar Comedy Series. If you search my name there, you can see that. And uh, if you check out uh, Amazon Prime Video, my special uh, is available on DVD now, and then mid-November will be available uh, for digital download. Well, I will and be then, supporting you on that. Yeah, man. And if you, if anybody's a pro wrestling fan, my podcast, Dynamite Drop-In, we talk pro wrestling every week. Are you kidding me? Dude, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. Do you like AEW? Yeah, dude. Okay. Well, let's spend a little bit of time together before we finish up just a little bit more. Because <laughs> I actually, you know who Harry Tarjanian is? I don't he, think I know that. Name. You know, um, do you know uh, Man School Two Hundred Two, the guy that does Man School Two Hundred Two? Um, uh, uh, I got to give me one second. I got it. I literally, I'm listening to his podcast literally before I called you. Um, Dante Nero. Oh, okay. Dante Nero. Dante Nero does a podcast. He's a comedian in New York, and uh, Harry Tarjani is a big wrestler. He does Capital Wrestling. He does some work for them. And um, I've been a wrestling fan since 1995. Maybe a little earlier. Started off a WCW guy. Worked my way into the Attitude Era. Um, you definitely have probably, I would assume, a little bit older than me. What are your thoughts about AEW, man, and in, in, uh, in WWE right now? What do you just quickly, man, for for our people that are for for a for casual wrestling fan that has been watching wrestling since, let's say. Right after the Attitude Era, most people, I think culturally, everybody watched wrestling in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that, man? Because uh, it's definitely changed. What are your thoughts? So, uh, I'm definitely more uh, a fan of AEW. That's why we do the AEW podcast. Really? I, I got shirts, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I got nice. a John Moxley shirt and I got a, just a straight up All Elite in the gray. Yeah, man. Uh, I love them. And so... Um, so for the casual wrestling fan who's, or, or somebody who hasn't watched in a while, uh, basically the summary is this. Uh, AEW tends to appeal to more of the traditional wrestling fan, the people who kind of prefer the territory days or the old NWA days, um, where it's kind of a classic uh, good guys versus bad guys. Some guys, uh, you know, so a little more violent, a little more blood uh, versus the WWE, they kind of call it the Disney era there. So everything's more clean and, and PG and um, not a whole lot of stuff that's going to like shock or surprise you. It's very mild. But uh, see, I think so they're kind of trying to focus more on, on kids versus uh, the AEW trying to for focus more on the adults. 
So being and, and just for people who don't know, AEW is relatively new. It's been out for about a year in terms of truly on television and AEW Dynamite. Your thoughts on AEW in the first year of uh, television? They have they just celebrated their anniversary about a week ago of Dynamite. What do you think they're in terms of um, what they're bringing to the wrestling industry? And for that casual wrestling fan that wants to get back, but you know they lo- you know WWE lost me, man. When they got into the ruthless, the second half of the ruthless aggression era, I would specifically say right after the King Booker. And, and they started bringing in Sheamus and they changed the tag titles. They kind of lost me in, in about 2006, 2007. Really, 2008, I was fed up with the product of uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. And um, for me, being a fan for so long, uh, going all the way back to WCW and staying in Goldberg and, you know, the franchise Shane Douglas and, 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 and you know, Booker T and, and, and you know, and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and all that stuff. They You know, and then also The Rock and, you know, just, you know, Undertaker Stone Cold, Triple H, that generation kind of passing toward. I, uh, I kind of liked Batista and I liked it, but they lost me, man. Did, did, did you feel like you were kind of uh, a man without a home for a period of time as well? I know the Impact had some stuff, TNA, and there were other things going on, but but it wasn't a major competitor once WCW was bought. What, were you, what happened to you when that happened? Yeah, I stopped watching altogether. Um, and then I kind of got back in probably around when the yes movement started with Daniel Bryan in like 2013, 2014, something like that. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and then as far as like my thoughts, uh, you know, another way to kind of compare it, I was thinking I was talking to my, my podcast partner about it is it really does have the NWA throwback feel because, uh, if, if you think about it, it was NWA was largely like Ric Flair and the four horsemen versus dusty Rhodes. And so now it's a lot of that with, uh, you've got Chris Jericho and his stable, which kind of has that same feel. Uh, and for a while, uh, kind of like the guy battling them that was Cody Rhodes, who is a Dusty Rhodes' son, for those mm-hmm. who don't know. So um, it's got that feel. I kind of compare it to like uh, the, like the, the ring work is phenomenal. It kind of reminds me of like the ring work of NXT with the storylines of the old NWA WCW days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's stuff like if you, if you really enjoyed in the old nitro days when the luchadors, oh, and the yeah. cruiserweights are flying around, there's a lot of that field too, except the, the guys are bigger, you know, guys like the young bucks flying around all over the place. First time I saw them, I was like, my mind exploded. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. So uh, between Young Bucks and Lucha Bros flying around all over, um, it, it's a lot of fun. And then the tag team, uh, the champs now, uh, called FTR. Yep, the revival of the uh, formerly of the, the revival. That's right. The they, their whole gimmick is they're a throwback tag team. So they're you know kind of guys that you know, as they say, work work one body part, keep your opponent on on half the ring. Uh, all that stuff. That's kind of so. If you're in a throwback, the old school stuff, it's definitely for you. If you hated that, not for you. Yeah, and and that's the thing, man. I mean, I, th- I think it's saying you're a wrestling fan now. It's kind of tough to say. If you ask anybody, 1998 to early like 2000, like just from that period, let's just say 1997 to 2001, right? Yeah. 
And you ask yeah. someone if they were a wrestling fan, like, fuck yeah, I love Stone Cold The Rock. It was, a, it was accepted. And, and, and culturally now, it's kind of accepted, but it's almost kind of like coming out as gay in some ways. You know, nothing wrong. You know, yeah. totally different experiences, but in terms of like the ridicule that you may get from people who don't understand it. And it's like, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you're a wrestling fan, you know? And, and I, my, uh, on my podcast, which is called Wrestling While Black, we try to bring more, you know, representation in wrestling and stuff like that. My, my co uh, my co, you know, host is a is a gay black dude, and you know, in some ways, now he was really very much accepted by his family, but you know, there's some people in this world who don't accept that lifestyle, and so it's just as the same thing as a wrestling fan. I've I've talked to people, they're like, dude, I can't believe you watched that, or it's, it's like, dude, you play fucking Call of Duty. Are you a real U.S. Marine? Okay, then shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? You, you watch movies, right? Movies are movies are are scripted. Movies are this and that. Wrestling is just the most athletic form of entertainment. Of storytelling that you can ever it's it's the most athletic storytelling you ever find and it's beautiful you know um and AEW really won me over i think when i started hearing about them and i started going on youtube and then i said okay they this might be something and then when they got chris jericho on i was like this might be legitimate and then when i watched the first all out and then i played for i paid for double or nothing i i still have it on on um the br rep Bleacher Report app. I just yeah. think they're really trying to make it the right. Like if w, like it's almost like in a world like a, this dystopian world where what if WCW never went under? You know what yeah. if they never went over? Yeah. And 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 so I kind of me and my co-hosts were talking about how initially my concerns with Dynamite was that the production values weren't as good as WCW, WWE, which obviously WWE's been doing productions for hundred. I mean, you know, for a decade, I mean, decades and decades, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And they've mastered the art of having beautiful camera angles, beautiful production, everything. And I think Dynamite's production value has improved. And also their roster, my concern in terms of watching as a, for, as a wrestling fan is that their women's division is a little weak. And they need to, if Oscar becomes available or if Naomi becomes available, one of the two, um, or if Ember Moon becomes available, they need to make a big pitch or big power play uh, to, to that. Or, or even if they can get, um, you know, Ronda Rousey if she comes back, you know, or if Shayna Baszler becomes available, they need to find that legitimate workhorse, believable, athletic woman that can truly push that division. And right now, besides Rio um and stuff like that i don't really see a huge and uh, the, the young lady that's uh i think what's her name the champion in uh aew forgot her name it's she's uh hikaru shida yeah hikaru she's a she's amazing but they don't have from one to ten they don't have that full quality women's roster and, and, and i'm kind of concerned about that what are your thoughts yeah uh i agree completely so if you know if people ask my honest feedback the, the one thing that uh that i think most honest people would would acknowledge is that the women's division is far superior in WWE. So uh, yeah, I'm with you there. And and it seems like actually that they know it because if you notice, they bring new people in all the time. Yep. They seem to give a, a new push to somebody about once a month to see if they take off. And nobody's really clicking except for Sheeta. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you. Even the uh, if they if WWE moves on from any of their top women's talent, you know, the ones you mentioned and, you know, Sasha and Bailey come to mind too. If, you know, oh, yeah. WWE, or if, 
if AEW could get a couple of them, that's that's the key for sure. Yeah, and there was some disgruntledness with Sasha for a period of time. We were all were like, oh, just release her, release her, release her, because they were yeah. randomly always releasing. <laughs> and, and they yeah. have to do that. You have to build that women's division up. And, and, and now with the expectation for women's wrestling, you know, being it was totally different in the 2000s. It was just basically titty shows and, and wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. But to really, really solidify yourself, I mean, from one, I mean, even in NXT, from not just the regular Raw and SmackDown, NXT, the WWE is stacked, period, you know? So you have to get, I think um, the more likely, my projections, honestly, uh, honest projection is going to be, you're probably going to see Sasha Banks. I would say you probably would see, um, I would say Asuka. If, I mean, if they, if they don't throw a boatload of money, because what happens in AEW is they have a wonderful international appeal with the wrestlers. And if, if Asuka, as she, as she, as she begins to kind of, you know, wind down her career, right? She could build that legacy and give back to the wrestling community by really building that division out and, and culturally really tie them together. She knows the system. She's been in America and she really would be a great asset. I, I just hope that one of those big three would be able to go over, you know, to c come over to AEW and really help that product uh, from, from a 360 point of view be great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, they definitely have to do something. The best they've done so far, they signed uh, the NX, old NXT women's trainer, which was uh, Soraya Deeb, I think is her name. Okay. Uh, she was cut in the big wave of, of layoffs. And uh, uh, so she was a trainer at the time, when the, and then uh, AEW signed her as talent. And uh, she's had a few matches, and I guess she's better than, than what's out there. But, you know, still, it's, you know, nothing to get me excited. Exactly, and another person I was going to—I was saying on previous my other old other flip podcast, wrestling while black. Um, there's a wrestler. I think her name is Beast. She's in Women of Wrestling. Um, I don't okay. know if you're familiar with Women of Wrestling. It's a Los Angeles, uh, a Los Angeles promotion. But this promotion has been back in the early 2000s. It had some amazing storylines and wrestlers as well. And um, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to build that division up. Uh, I know that people were talking about uh, from the Impact. Uh, what's her name? Oh man, she was the Impact champion actually, which a lot of people didn't like. Oh, uh, Tessa Blanchard. Blanchard. Yeah, I don't know what the politics are behind her, and some people say certain things about her. I don't know what's true in wrestling. You just never know. But um, yeah, I, I I do think in the next, I would want to see Moxley drop the title probably in about three months. Give him three more months of the reign. I love Mox as a champion, but now I think three months, three more months of the championship, and hopefully we can get back to a little bit of more, you know, audiences. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't want him to be one of those. His championship reign to get stale. I I need to see. Um, you know, I need to see. Um, the my man. Uh, you know, Kenny Omega. I would like to see him possibly be in that championship talk in the next, you know, three to six months. What are your thoughts on Mox? I love I love his reign. I love where he is. He, he he's 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 a perfect example of what AEW can do for a person. But I do think in the next three to six months, I do see it possibly a championship change should happen, a title change should happen. What are your thoughts? Yeah, they keep uh, <clears throat> uh, they keep having him hold the title, and and I'm with you. I don't want it to turn stale, but it kind of feels like it is. Uh, even though he's, you know, one of the best promos and one of the best workers right now. Yeah. But, uh, I think what actually both companies are trying to do is hold off on the big moment until they can have an audience again. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is they just keep stalling and stalling and stalling because nobody actually knows when, you know, when that's going to be. Um, and so sometimes we'll get a stale product. Yeah. It's tough. Has it, has it been tough to watch wrestling without the fans personally? I'll be honest with me. 
Originally, yeah. Um, but then I kind of got used to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's same here. It, it's, but the problem was with when SmackDown, when they fired Paul, when they fired, um, Eric Bischoff, which I think was a bad decision. Um, and when they removed Paul Heyman from the team on, on the raw and made him more of a talent, I think MVP is doing some wonderful stuff with the hurt business. Um, but overall it was tough watch, bro. I, I, I was like, I'm getting turned off again. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And I just think when you look at the, the amount of talent that WWE has, when you, when you really look at the talent that they have, this could be the greatest era in wrestling history in terms of talent workers. If they had a perfect, if you had that writing staff, if you could take that attitude era writing staff without having a ridiculous, uh, you know, sexuality with the women and kind of demeaning women a little in a way. If you could take that, some of that adventurous writing and, and kind of go for swing for the fences with the level of athleticism and the quality of talent, like, you know, I think WWE would, be, I mean, that could be in a whole nother generation of, of wrestling, a great wrestling. It could be another golden era. But it's just, see, it seems like the writing is just not, I don't know what it is, bro. I don't either. I think, you know, hard part is, um, they're kind of handcuffed again with the COVID situation because they can only get, you know, so much talent available to them. Um, and then it's happened to both companies where they have a big storyline going and one of their talent tests positive and they got to hold them out for two weeks. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, what's really cool about MVP, a guy who, uh, just worked the Indies after he was out of, it might've even been WWF at the time when he was working the first time, uh, was out and then just worked the Indies for like 10 years and then gets his way back in. And typically those types of guys are the ones that are just jobbed out and they're just there to, you know, lose a match once in a while and have somebody on the roster. MVP has become the MVP of the show. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then what he's done for, uh, I mean, yeah, the classic example, Lashley and, uh, Shelton Benjamin, both yeah. guys that were gone and came back. Nothing was going on with either of those guys. Yeah. And then now look how elevated they are because of this stable uh, with MVP, who is uh, just top notch on the mic. And it's, I don't know if people don't know, but with WWE, they are given word for word promos, they, yeah. you know, whereas back in the day it used to be, you know, you got some <laughs> bullet points and you kind of winged it. Yeah. These guys are word for word. And MVP still comes off as real and legit, and uh, that's why he's in the spot he's in. Yep. Yeah, and 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 that's why we created wrestling while black. Because to be honest with you, in the in the wrestling historically, it has had some issues with race and culture and stuff like that. You know, and it's the old southern, you know, certain southern promotions like you having Junkyard Dog and having like Kamala, who's like a fucking like a nondescript African beast type <laughs> thing. And, you know, <laughs> you know, just you know, and as a person of color, it's like ah, it's kind of you know, it kind of turns you off a little bit, and it's like. Sure. Um, there's no reason, in my honest opinion, there's no reason why Bobby, Bobby Lashley shouldn't be a one-time champion at least. There's no reason from a work perspective that, that um, you know, Shelton Benjamin shouldn't be a one-time champion as well. And MVP, when he had his original run, when he first came in, all of those dudes legitimately could be a champion. How the fuck do you have Sheamus as a champion but not Bobby Lashley? As a, you know, I just, what are your thoughts as a white dude? Because I'm just, you know, I like to, I'm a straight shooter. I'm an East Coast guy. I mean, because those yeah. three dudes should literally at least have one. You have fucking Sheamus as champion. Come on, dude. Uh, well, for, <laughs> uh, I'm with you on the Sheamus thing. Uh, for Lashley especially, I think, consider the gimmick that um, uh, Lance Archer has in AEW. 
Yeah. Just like this dominant, dominant guy who just run around crushing people. Yeah. Could Bobby Lashley not pull that off and be the most feared guy? He could like give him the Brock Lesnar gimmick. He could Ex- absolutely pull that off. Exactly. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's, especially in a time now where they're, they have, you know, not giving people a reason to watch. Uh, if they could elevate Lashley as the, you know, the unstoppable force, the new Brock Lesnar, yeah. how many people would tune in to see him either wreck people <laughs> or finally see the good guy overcome? Yeah. You know what I mean? And just beat the shit out of people. Just beat. Yes. This dude's a former U.S. Marine. He's a world, ch- he's a, he's a national championship wrestler. He's, he's beat the shit out of people in MMA. Who's more legitimate than Bobby Lash- fucking Lashley? Yeah. You know, yeah. if I'm MVP, I'm trying to, if I, when I'm renegotiating my contract with WWE, you can bring that fucking hurt business over to goddamn AEW. I'm, this is, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk. Let's, I'm not trying to be too nerdy here, but imagine, <laughs> you know, remember the outsiders when they came to WCW? Yeah. Okay. Imagine this. <laughs> Cody and the Young Bucks and you got, you know, the elite in the ring, right? They're doing their thing and the lights go out or somehow or maybe, you know, randomly you hear. Yeah, you hear MVP come out on the mic. He's talking shit and he and, and he's got. And oh, 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 by the way, he adds Leo Rush to the Hurt Business in AEW. If you want to pop a million views again for in terms of ratings, if you wanted to really talk about being the fucking demo god, you get MVP. You get Bobby Lashley, you get Shelton Benjamin, you get Leo Rush, you have them part of the Hurt business, but they had they changed their name. You could say, you know, the Hurt, you know, the Hurt, the Council of Hurt or something. You could figure out a really cool way to say it. Or keep, you know, Hurt 2.0, whatever. Or T- yeah. or THB, you know, the Hurt business, right? There you go. Yeah. Uh, and so have them come to AEW and you talk about a fucking pop. You think about you talk about. Well, I just I'm trying to fantasy book here, but what what would that do for you as a fan? How how would you feel if you actually literally saw something just like that? What would you do? Uh, I'd probably pee my pants. <laughs> 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 you, know, like, you know those moments where you're like, "What just happened?" Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it would be solid. Now, I do. It would be tough to get all those guys to come over at the same time because you know their their contracts will have to run out. You of know, course, and time. WWE will figure out a way but, not to make it cut run out at the same time. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. If they could figure something out with that. I mean, the, the Hurt Business is really the only thing worth watching on, on WWE right now. Exactly. So, uh, so, if they move on, you know, WWE's in trouble. Yeah, I don't think, the likelihood is very low, low honestly, because WWE pays crazy money. They have crazy money. What are your thoughts on Leo Rush? He's best, basically got back into wrestling. He's He said, his, I already knew he was going to come back. He was working through some personal issues. He's There's apparently different backstage politics that were going on. But overall, I think, uh, where do you think he goes if you want a fantasy book or if you want to put your bet on it? If you had $100,000 to put it on, what promotion does Leo Rush ultimately end up with? You know, my guess is not one of the major two. Okay. Uh, and the reason is uh, they both tend to avoid, you know, sort of the, the guys that have that label of backstage politics issues. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hence what Tessa Blanchard, uh, most people say the top female worker in the biz is unsigned. And they say, you know, because backstage she is absolutely difficult. So uh, Rush has that stigma. So what happens to him? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he ends up in, you know, one of the what they call, MLW or uh, TNA, you know, maybe something like that for now. And then he's got to kind of prove himself first, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to suggest that. 
if I was AEW, I would just put him on an AEW dark. You don't have to sign him to a contract at all. Just give him a shot. If you want to pop, because you want to get AEW dark. Is the, eventually, what's going to happen is, I actually looked at the roster sizes of WWE versus AEW. And actually, the roster size is not, if you're just looking at SmackDown and Raw, right? The difference overall is not that big in terms of active TV wrestlers. AEW is closely getting to the size of WWE and doesn't have nearly as much TV time. And so, as they develop AEW dark and continue to, you know, because they're going to need a second show eventually anyway. I just hope they don't sure. do a third hour. Please don't do that. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> no one wants the third hour. So, so you get the, you, 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 if you want to pop a rating, right? Because you don't have to contract them. Just put them on AEW Dark and just see where how it goes with the people's reaction. See how he handles himself in the in the locker room. Do you? Th- I mean, that I think that would be something. Even if it's just a non contract match where he just comes out of nowhere and he challenges. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm with you. If if they're going to go after him or WWE, either one, uh, it's definitely going to be a, a tight leash with. Uh, yeah, kind of limited opportunities in the beginning. He's going to have to prove himself. Yeah, I think his ship has sailed in the WWE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, go ahead, brother. I was going to say, um, I know they say Mark Henry sort of the the godfather, yeah. and uh, he lost uh, he lost Mark Henry's approval. Even I remember hearing on a podcast. That's so, what I heard too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I always felt like they should have resolved it. I think it showed a little bit of immature immaturity on Leo Rush's point of view as well to, to not be, uh, you know, just showed a little immaturity to go back and forth with a veteran, a guy who's well-respected. And, and from yeah. what I've seen, Mark Henry seems to be a stand-up guy. You know, he seems to be yeah. a stand-up guy and a real dude, and he's he not a guy that, that's that's a phony baloney dude. So I just felt kind of a certain type of way about that. And they give Booker T a lot of shit too. You know, I think Booker T, especially when, when he was with WCW, because WCW... When you're talking about like an organization, you know, WWE, WCW was the first to have an African-American champion. You know, that was Ron Simmons, 1992, That's Baltimore, right. Maryland, my, you know, as a Baltimorean. I'm proud of that. And actually, yeah. my last name is Simmons, too. So, you know, that's pretty dope. Um, sure. <laughs> so to do that and WCW, actually, in a lot of ways, they said WCW is way worse in, in terms of backstage, backstage politics, in terms of race and stuff. And for them to do that. So, you know, to see, um, you know. To, and Booker T to get the bullshit that he gets, you know, him to be a coming champ, not only the world heavyweight champion, uh, the second one, and also the United States champion at the same time, and be arguably one of the top five tag teams, if not one of the top three tag teams of all time, you know, and don't get an, and they don't get enough respect. I don't think they do. I think they're in the top ten tag teams of all time, in my opinion. Um, for him to go there and to and to do that, and for the younger talent to kind of be upset when he says what he says, it's like, look. He knows what it's like to work in this industry and to really work. And when he left WCW and to come to WWE and to really as well have several championship reigns as well, you know, to do that, he his what he's saying is his he has valid points. You feel me? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and what Booker T had to overcome also is uh, at the time he had Triple H and Shawn Michaels working backstage to get him out of there. Exactly. Exactly, and and lo and behold, he's beloved in WWE. It's very and, and a lot of if you and he was saying when you look at a lot of the WCW guys that le- that left WCW came very few ever really had a main. And we're talking about Goldberg, Sting. We're talking about DDP. We're talking about you know um, you know a bit. Uh, I mean some big guys, Kevin, Kevin Nash, NWO, you know, a, a, a lot of guys didn't really make it, you know, it, it, it was, a, it, he's very, one of the very few. So that says a lot about his work ethic, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't think of anybody else that was, you know, had a, a, a significant uh, crossover. If you remember, because Jericho came well before, uh, way before, shut yeah. down. Yeah. Um, the only other one that still has a career, you know, uh, Buff Bagwell. He's a gigolo now, so. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, you know, honestly, I would say Goldberg, since he did win the championship a couple times in WWE, but but it wasn't a very long, long tenure. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, they tried to do a little bit with Scott Steiner. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know the story. The funny thing with him is... Uh, Steiner they told him he had to. <laughs> they, well, they told him he had to go take a steroid test. Oh, really? And uh, he said, uh, I'll go if, if Triple H comes with me. I <laughs> take one, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And they said... They said, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's funny. You remember those Stacker 2 commercials? Yes. Yeah. Even, even as a preteen, I was like, this motherfucker ain't taking no Stacker 2. He's taking some goddamn steroids. Those those titty muscles <laughs> aren't Stacker 2 mu- titty muscles, you know? <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Man, I can't believe we, we got an hour in, bro. That's, and it's organic. I, 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 you, you are going to be a prime example of a season two. I, like I said, my goal, long-term goal is to take this and make this almost like an audio sitcom. And I would love to have you on, bro. I just think you naturally flow and your sense of humor and just your, if you want to come back, it's open to you. We'll talk about that off the air, but man, it's so awesome to have you on. So people, thanks for coming on. Um, again, uh, just just as a reminder, uh, the, his information will be in the bio for the podcast. So you can find all of the stuff, his, his social media and stuff. It'll be, I'll make sure that I'll put that in the podcast. And it's been more than a pleasure to have you on. So audience, give him a round of applause. And that was just the, the closing segment that I randomly put in, but I was looking for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's awesome to have wrestling fans in, man. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. So, guys, peace. You can follow me on Instagram and all places, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Um, so, yeah, peace. <laughs>